the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And as we said before Christmas, we'll be right back. And we certainly are back here for our first episode of 2023. And we have a brand new release for you in this episode, a film that I've been excited about since it was basically in the development stages. And that is Scream 6. Yes, after a short break, we're back for 2023, and to kick off this year's films, we're off to the cinema, and the brand new release, Scream 6, directed, as with Scream 5, by Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettinelli-Olpin. So the Radio Silence guys are back for a Scream sequel, but how does it stack up against their previous work, and how does it stack up against the rest of the series? All will be revealed in the next half hour or so, I think. What we will say is that we normally say right at the start of the show that we will sometimes give spoilers away. This is going to be pretty much how it's going to be with Scream 6. We cannot discuss some of the plot points without giving away major spoilers. So if you have not seen Scream 6, switch off now, go see the movie, come back when you're done. And this could well be one of our most divisive episodes yet, because in brief discussions we've had, we might not agree on everything. So settle in, everybody. I'm going to give a very brief synopsis, because as this is a new release, there's not much out there. So I'm going to give the brief three-sentence synopsis that is listed on IMDb for you. In the next instalment, the survivors of the Ghostface killings leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. So we have the characters, the surviving characters of Scream 5 back in this movie, apart from Sidney Prescott. So this is the first Scream movie not to feature Sidney Prescott. We're not going to go into it as it's very much public knowledge, but there was a pay dispute and that was the reason that Nev Campbell didn't want to return to the film. However, reports have said that she's really enjoyed what they've done with this movie and there's no bad blood whatsoever. But this movie, as I say, it's following a new set of characters and I think these guys have done such a good job with moving the franchise on, not sticking to the same story that we've known for the last 25 years or so, bringing in fresh blood. And I really do enjoy the new characters and I feel that I am caring for them equally as much as I have about Sydney, Gail and Jim in the past. I don't think not having Sydney in this is a bad thing. I don't really know where she would fit into the plot now because the trajectory has completely changed and this movie is now focused on our new final girl, Sam Carpenter. 
But what's interesting about Sam in comparison to Sydney is she has a darker side to her because, of course, she is grappling with the revelation that she is the daughter of the infamous serial killer Billy Loomis, who started this whole franchise off, the whole killing spree off in the original. Um, so she's dealing with that and the trauma of finding out that her boyfriend was, in fact, Ghostface in the last movie. So, again... Spoilers if you haven't seen Scream 5. So she's been through a lot, but as I say, compared to Sydney, she does have a darker edge to her, and it's always kind of on a knife edge. Is she going to be the final girl that we all know and love in the horror genre, or is she going to take a dark path, and will she succumb to putting on the ghost face mask herself? So I think that's what's really interesting about her character. Yeah, it's nice that they've cleared the decks a little bit and given us some new characters to root for. Completely agree with Sid's character arc, it's done. She came back, she proved that she was a survivor, she went back to normal society. She doesn't need to be in the sixth movie at all. One thing that was at the back, of, I'm sure, of everybody's mind was, is Sid going to be the killer in Scream 6? Well, first major spoiler... In the episode, Sid is not the killer in Scream 6. Sid does not appear whatsoever. There's not even any post-credit stuff with Sid in. So it's absolutely fine. Nev Campbell didn't need to come back. I think they should leave Sid where she is now. She doesn't need to keep coming back and saving people. And if, for instance, they brought her in in Scream 7 and killed her off, I would be extremely annoyed at that. She deserves a shot at the rest of her life. She doesn't need to be killed off in that way. It would feel cheap. As for the rest of the characters, they are beginning to carve out their own niche. They are starting to stand out as individual characters in the franchise. So it's nice to have them developed a little bit in this. It bends over backwards to try and make you think that Sam is losing it and going off the rails, and possibly could be involved in the killings. I can see why they've done that. They want to throw out as many suspects as possible, and you do get a slew of new characters who could be equally culpable and could be equally easy to fit into the shoes of the new ghost face. What I do like about the movie is that they've used New York a lot better than some other movies that have changed location. For instance, Gotta Love Friday the 13th, absolutely massive fan of the franchise, but Jason Takes Manhattan didn't need to be in New York at all. They might as well have set it somewhere else. At least in this movie, they do use New York, maybe not to its fullest potential, but they do take the city, make the playing field a little bit bigger, make the pool of suspects a little bit bigger, throw in some extra dangers, so... It's nice that they've just not said, oh, well, you know what? Let's just set it in New York, but it could have been set anywhere. No, not really. Not in this movie. You could not really set it anywhere else, particularly in, for me, what is the movie's standout sequence? There's a sequence involving two subway cars that are filled with ghost faces, and you've got no idea whether anybody's going to get attacked whether it's going to happen at all, who's going to get attacked, where it's going to come from. And in a movie that is a fairly big studio swing at a continuing franchise, this does feel like 
it's something a bit more fresh. It's got a bit more suspense about it, that sequence. It's probably some of the best work in the entire franchise, that particular sequence. And I was loving that. And the payoff is pretty cruel as well, without saying what the payoff is. There are so many things about this movie that I like, and yet, as a Scream movie, I think it falls short. It's a great horror movie. I loved watching it. I was massively entertained at the time. But the final act, it just disintegrates, unfortunately. And the problem I had as well, the bigger problem, was that I saw it on a double bill with Scream 5. Having watched Scream 5 again in the cinema, that's a really solid movie. That's a great addition to the franchise. And then having 6 play after it, all the stuff that I loved about 5 on a rewatch just highlighted all the missteps that were in 6. And it just left me feeling a little bit deflated because I wanted to love this movie so much and I wanted it to be, you know, in the top two or maybe three movies. And I thought, this has got to blow five out of the water because the setup's great, the characters are great, the trailer's teasing loads and loads of weird stuff going on. And don't get me wrong, it is a great movie. You'll have a good time. If it was any other horror movie, I would be absolutely raving about this. But the bar is set astonishingly high with screen movies, especially the first two. So you're dealing with the legacy of Wes Craven's and Kevin Williamson's originals. And here, there's nothing specifically wrong with the movie. If you like jump scares, if you like gore, if you like jokes, and I like all of those things, it's really good. You'll have a great night out. And if you're not a huge fan of the screen franchise and you're just into your horror movies, where you've got young people being menaced by an unseen killer and they don't know who it is. Fantastic. But I just didn't like it as much as Five. And it's weird because up to about 70, 80 minutes in, I just thought, this is really going to have to stick the landing. And if it sticks the landing, this could be the second favourite of mine. And it botched the ending so badly. I was just sitting there thinking... It was so close. It was so close to it being like one of the greatest points of the franchise. But having said that, still a great movie, great performances. If you like bloody kills, though, there's some bloody kills in this one. It's only a whinge within the confines of the Scream franchise. Take it on its own. If it's a standalone horror movie with characters that you don't know about and no history, you'd think that's great. That's really great. But there are caveats to my um, enjoyment of Scream 6. Having said that, it's streets ahead of most horror films out there still. So I'm inclined to disagree with you, Darren. Fair enough. I I felt I was a lot more entertained by Scream 6 than Scream 5, I have to be honest. I I mean, I really do enjoy Scream 5 as well. I did rewatch it a couple of nights before seeing this one, just as a refresher. And... There are moments in it that really emotionally impact me, such as the death of Dewey, Gail's reaction to that, seeing Sydney back, all that kind of nostalgia, all that history between these characters, like all that is done beautifully. But I think for me, I like that they moved it out of Woodsboro into New York and I think as well, because I'm a huge fan of Scream 2 and that remains to be my favourite in the franchise of all time. And that film holds a lot of nostalgia for me. 
I really enjoyed all the homages to Scream 2 without it being a complete remake of that film as well. I think they balance that so well. What sticks in my mind is the moment where they're trying to trace the phone calls from where Ghostface is calling from and a lot of the core characters are in a van and then you've got Sam Tara and then Detective Bailey who are kind of listening out to see if they can trace the call in the park area and that is just like shot for shot the whole Randy's death sequence and then it leads to Gail's attack as well because in Scream 2 it was um, the phone call was meant for Gail and then Randy took it over and that's why he met his device but um, I really liked that aspect of it and of course you've got the abandoned movie theatre the climax of Scream 2 ended in a theatre and this one does as well I was really excited by the whole ghost face museum. I thought that was a really cool touch because I think if you're a Scream fan, like there's plenty of fan service in there to get excited about. The only item that I was a bit confused about why it was there is Randy's shirt from the video store because that was nothing linked to a crime scene. I don't know how the police would have got their hands on that as, you know, it wasn't evidence, it wasn't DNA unless... He happened to be wearing that sweater and took it off in the party and it was just there and that's that's why but i can't honestly give you a plausible explanation but i want to go back to the opening sequence of this movie because scream is known for its iconic memorable opening sequences and i think this is one of the best in the franchise because it takes it down a different direction that i wasn't expecting now based on the promo material I felt quite strongly that it was likely to be the um, Samara Weaving character who's going to be the opening kill. When the movie began, I was like, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. So it starts off in a restaurant, so that's different before we're not seeing just um, an unsuspecting victim alone in their house getting a phone call. I think the way this scene builds is very well done because she's surrounded by people. She's basically being contacted by a guy on a dating app and you just kind of know this is going to be Ghostface. Like he's chatting away and then the voice is going to change at some point. And he lures her out of the restaurant down a dark alley and she is brutally murdered. Like a lot quicker than anticipated. This isn't actually a long drawn out typical scream opening sequence. It's not a Casey Becker or Tara from the last film. This is very much a surprising kill and you expect that once it shows the knife slashing it's just going to go straight into screen six's title but it doesn't we get a prolonged shot of ghost face looking at the body and then he reveals himself and i think fans have been waiting for that for such a long time for them to subvert that trope and, and i think they do it really well so when they reveal the ghost face character and he disposes of his uh, mask and his outfit and then goes back into normal attire and wanders around the Blackmore University campus. I mean, I had it in my head that, because I'd seen this particular actor in the promotional material, and for some reason I thought that I'd actually witnessed scenes of him with the core group, which I'm obviously wrong. Maybe it's a Mandela effect, probably. Is <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast, but... Um, I genuinely thought, oh, are they going to go down the route that we're going to know that this guy is the killer, but there might be a second killer that we don't know about. And I thought that was really interesting. And of course, we follow this character. His name is Jason, ironically. <laughs> and we follow him to his apartment and he 
is actually watching Jason Takes Manhattan because they could not have um, done this movie without referencing Jason Takes Manhattan. We found out that Samara Weaving's character was a film professor that he murdered. One line said was, she gave me a C minus on my Jallo paper. And I kid you not, in the both screenings I attended, it was only me and my, my groups that I was with that laughed in that moment. So I think everybody else might have just been casual moviegoers. So I thought that, that was a fun line. To cut a long story short, let's get straight to the point. We then see another ghost face with a more battered, older mask take Jason out. And that's just a fantastic way to start the film because it's something they've never done before. And I really appreciated that. And then it set it up well so we could reacquaint ourselves with the 4-4, as they are now known as. And again, I really liked, compared to Screen 5, I think this film established and cemented these characters, which is Sam, Tara, Chad and Mindy, a lot better because I felt we just know them more now. We've got more reason to care about them. I think um, those scenes of friendship between them are really authentic and lovely. For me, that's that's probably another point in its favour against Screen 5. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons that I really was quite down at the end because of the, the how great the start is the start's fantastic samara weaving love samara weaving don't like to see her get killed but it's a great start and they let her use her aussie accent as well which is fantastic but as soon as she's killed like within you know three four minutes of the start straight away no messing about and the kill seems sloppy the kill seems really sloppy and you're just thinking what's going on here this this really doesn't fit with anything and then you find out why it really doesn't fit, because this guy has taken her out. And you're thinking, well, is this guy really Ghostface? You know, you're following him around a bit. And you're thinking, well, is it going to come from his point of view, maybe? Or is he part of a wider group? And you're going to go back and you're going to find a lot of other Ghostfaces that are in contact with him. So it's like, this could be really good. And then, of course, you kind of think, oh, hang on a minute. He gets a phone call. It's like, no, he's doing the work for himself. But there's another Ghostface who doesn't like what he's doing and then goes to take him out. So, great start, you know, brilliant start, just doing something completely different in this particular movie. And the fact that somebody says about the guy who's died, he said, oh, he's a big Argento fan. Yeah. <laughs> so this is it. If you're, a, I mean, I'm a big Argento fan. I wouldn't kill Samara Weaving, to be perfectly honest. And it kind of rattles along from there on. I mean, it's a two-hour movie. It doesn't feel like two hours. It really does have a bit of pace to it. And it does establish the core four. I do like the fact that they make a joke out of the core four because it is quite a lame thing to call themselves, but it does fit. And you get them entangled with Gail again, who's done a bit of a 180 personality-wise because she's, she's gone from kind of thinking about writing a meditative novel about Dewey and about how what a great guy he was to doing an expose about how Sam might be a bit of a nut job and sort of trouble follows her around and like wherever she is, people will die. So Gail's kind of reverted back to how she was in the first movie to the point where she does get punched again, as in the, the, the first movie. I like what they're trying to do with this movie. I don't think it particularly sticks. And I think some of the stuff that they introduce is great in terms of the rule setting because now it's a franchise. We're not doing requels or sequels or threequels. It's a franchise. So this movie builds on the rules of what happens in a franchise. And they go to great pains to tell you that um, in franchises, 
nobody is safe. And that's true for quite a lot of franchises, you know, and they say they killed Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars sequels recently. Sorry if you haven't seen Star Wars sequels. Yeah, that's just how it is. I mean, killed Han Solo off as well. So, so that's like two for the price of one. So they go to great pains to tell you that people are going to die in a franchise movie. No matter how much you like them, people are going to die in a franchise movie. Not in this one, unfortunately. It's Fast and Furious, this one. In a Fast and Furious movie, no matter how much stuff they go through in a Fast and Furious movie, nobody in the main group is going to get a scratch on them. Vin Diesel could get it by a nuclear explosion and he'd just walk out of it. So it kind of leans to the Fast and Furious end of things, to the point where I was just ahead of it all. I was just thinking, nobody, nobody is going to die in this movie. And it's brutal, but as a horror fan, somebody has to die. Somebody you care about has to die, because that really hammers it home. Only one of them has to die. The rest of them can get out of it. But somebody has to be sacrificed in this movie. And no matter how big a carrot they dangle in front of you, nobody dies. Gale doesn't die. I mean, you're led to believe that Gale is dead. And at that point, I was thinking, oh, shit, they've killed Gale off. Bold move. Fantastic. No, Gale isn't dead. She's got a bit of breath back. They've taken her out in an ambulance. Okay, maybe one of the others is going to die then. Who is it going to be? Chad gets stabbed what seems like 25 times by two people. I thought, fuck, Chad's gone. That was the misdirection. Gale didn't die. Chad dies. Chad isn't dead either. They're wheeling him out on an ambulance at the end. Now, part of me thinks Chad is the series Dewey now. So Chad is going to keep getting stabbed over and over again. And... I like that kind of joke because it's it's nicely self-referential without taking the piss. It's terrible, I'm going to say this. I want one of them to die. And I didn't care who it was as long as one of them died because that that's proper stakes. They kind of kicked the chair out from under themselves and you were left thinking, well, if they're not going to die in this one, are they not going to die in the next one either? And it's kind of that Fast and Furious thing again where I've seen all the Fast and Furious movies and to be honest, there was so little jeopardy in the latest Fast and Furious movie. I got to about an hour and 15 in it. It's like a two and a half hour movie. So I got to about the halfway point and there's so little jeopardy to the main character. I just thought, I don't give a fuck about any of these people anymore. And I don't want to do that about Scream. I want to have the stakes high enough for me to think, oh shit, which one of them's in danger now? Any of them could go at the certain point in time. Oh, it's just frustrating when you... Because as, as a horror movie fan, and this is this is a terrible thing to sound like, I need people to die in a horror movie. It's there. I need people to die. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope they don't clip this and use it in some sort of trial. It's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, he was such a quiet guy, but here's him on the podcast telling people that he needs people to die. <laughs> so, again, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you because... In Scream 5, we experienced a lot of Dewey and I think it was expected that a legacy character was going to get taken out and it is imperative to the story because there's no way we would have got Sydney back if that event hadn't taken place. And that gave it stakes. And even in the climax, Amber's like, our movie had fucking stakes. So I think if they were then going to kill off Gail in this one or bring Kirby back just to kill her or even kill Chad or Mindy that 
we'd be expecting it. And I think it was clever how they twisted that. And I love all these characters and I didn't see any of them go because I'm happy to see another movie with them all again. And I think that's what's so special about this franchise. In horror, half the time, you don't care who lives or dies if the characters aren't well written. And there's so many movies that we can watch where it's like, it doesn't really matter what happens. But in the Scream franchise, they've literally written it so well. From Kevin Williamson to Radio Silence, it's basically they know how to write characters that you actually care about. And I've been reading online as well that there's a a supporting character in this film that people have been expressing their sadness about her death, and that is Annika, who is Mindy's girlfriend. She's only in the movie for a short time. She makes a good impression at the beginning. She's, you know, a character that doesn't deserve what happens to her, and her death is absolutely horrific and heartbreaking. And people have basically been saying, like, on the subreddits, that they were just so impressed with the actress's performance. Like, she really delivered, like, the fear in her eyes, the brutality of what happened to her. So they did that really well. And you've got to think, yeah, you know, Mindy suffered a really horrific loss here. So the characters are suffering losses in this film without them being taken out. I was a bit stunned by Chad uh, coming out on the stretch, I have to say, and, and I do agree with you on the fact that it is as if it, he's the new Dewey. I literally whispered, that's the first person sat next to me. I was like, he's the new Dewey now. <laughs> yeah, as you say, it, it's a nice touch to hark back to the original. But I'm, I'm glad they all survived personally. I think, as I say, it would just been too expected. I mean, when the Gale scene happened, you know, it was really suspenseful. I liked how um, she held her own against the killer, like she wasn't going to take this bullshit and she was going to fight as hard as she could. And even though it makes you think, no, she is definitely gone this time, she's she's too strong for that. It would take a lot to take her out. And um, I'm happy with how things went down and I don't need these characters to die. I mean, who knows with the next movie, it just depends on what they're planning to do with it. But in this one, I think it was quite cool that the people that we expected to be killed off survived. So I'm going to say this is a point in Scream 6's favour for subverting the audience's expectations. I'm glad Kirby didn't die. As oddly written as Kirby's character is in this movie, she is very entertaining and she's kind of a red herring as well, which is fun. This is what leads to the sort of final act revelations. And this is where the script starts to come apart. Because when you find out what's been going on, if you think about it more than about 30 seconds, none of it makes a lick of sense. Some of the other ones are implausible, but you can kind of get your head around it. But the gymnastics about how the logistics would have worked for some of the killings, and one particular killing which isn't a killing, it's like you couldn't have done that. Even if you've got the wherewithal and the resources of the police department in which you work. Replacing bodies? No, no. Fuck off. I'm sorry. We're getting to sort of weird territory now. And it's a shame because I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, is it is it Kirby? This could be quite good if Kirby's the killer. And it's like, nah, she's not. And then this whole thing about, you know, find out that Kirby's been working for the FBI and then she's been dismissed because she's got mental instability and you're thinking, you know, but again, with that, it's like, 
She walks into a police station. She says she's FBI. Nobody checks on her. And there's a couple of characters which are not involved with the main plot who could have easily checked on her. And there's a point where people are thrown off the case. And at that point, the rest of the department will kick into gear and go, right, let's let's have a look at everybody who's on this case. Right, Kirby Reid. Right, she got dismissed. Right, so what's she doing here? Guy who's investigating it, he's obviously gone through a shitload of trauma. What's he doing on it now? Well, let's look into him. And the the problem is, by the end of it, the reveal of the killers is like, on one hand, it's like, oh, great, these people are the killers. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, that's so fucking dumb. I mean, Jack Wade, fucking brilliant as the killer in Scream 5. Absolutely fucking brilliant. Loved Jack Wade in Scream 5. The people that they've got here... Nah, not great. I'm not. I'm not menaced by them. They, they're not. They don't really seem to. You know, the motive. I. I get the motive. But again, it's kind of doing quite a lot of mental gymnastics. And Dermot Mulroney. Love Dermot Mulroney as an actor. Really great, and he tries his absolute best to sell the end of it. He's trying his damnedest. The poor guy. He's like he's got to work with this sort of stuff, and he kind of pulls it off as well because he's the he's the most menacing of the lot. His son. I mean, this, we're going into the ending here, basically. The son. In a, in a way, the the guy who is Dermot Mulroney's son in this, it's a really good bit of misdirection because he is such a non-character in this movie that basically. Every time he turned up, I was like, oh, yes, he's in this movie. Because I'd completely forgotten him from the previous bit of the movie. It's like, oh, it's him. He's around now. It's like, okay, you're struggling to remember this guy. So he's kind of quite a good choice as the killer. Go figure. Leanna Liberato, um, who is Quinn, who is dead and then not dead and then the killer. Sorry, folks, that's another spoiler. She's great. I love Leanna Liberato. She's in a really good movie called The Beach House. So if you need to check that out, it's kind of a bit of a slow burn, but she's fantastic in the beach house and she's really good here as well as the, inverted commas, slutty roommate, I think they call her. Sex positive. Sex positive, that's it. She yeah. starts off as slutty. Yes, she starts off as slutty roommate and then it's upgraded to sex positive, which is a much better, a much better phrase for her. She's great in it. And I think if you're willing to suspend disbelief, the end is good because you get a lot of action, you get a lot of face-offs, you get a lot of stalk and slash. So from a point of horror movie mechanics, the ending is really good and it does pay off. The major caveat I've got for myself is is that the motive and the machinations to get to that point are so convoluted that even by scream standards, it just seems out there. And I think something simpler would have worked better. Because the the first two thirds of the movie are so good that to have the last third kind of kick the chair out from under it, I'm still enjoying it, but I'm really, really mad about the motive as well. I understand that it's got to be kind of bigger and better and more expansive and you're bringing people in that you don't think about, but logically, it makes no sense either. Having said that, it's nice to watch serial killers getting their ass kicked properly. Yeah, so I think my preferred conclusion to this film would have been 
the cult of ghost face that it was just these sick freaks that were obsessed with true crime conspiracy theories the stab movies just all that combined because obviously that is the direction franchise is taken because that's what we essentially had in the fifth movie where it was basically the stab movie fans that were pissed at how they messed with stab eight and they wanted to make their own movie so they had to commit these crimes in order to get that fame and recognition so i mean the threads are always kind of similar in these movies on the motives but one of the pure motives of the screen franchise is revenge and I just felt that they decided to go down this direction of having it be Richie's family is just to replicate the conclusion of Scream 2, which was the yeah. Loomis's mother taking revenge on Sydney, and then this yeah. is uh, Richie's family taking revenge on Sam. So it's basically mirrored that. They, you know, tried to do something a little different. But I have to say, I mean, I don't know in the, with the passage of time if I'll feel differently, and obviously this is very new, but out of the... Ghostface killers of past. I think these are the worst. I I really did not like Ethan at all. I thought, as you say, he is like a non-entity, and the whole time they're just all pointing their fingers at him. They don't trust him because they all call it straight away. Yeah, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm really shocked. And then when you rewatch the movie and you you get the whole moment where Quinn says to Tara, you know, my brother died, and then obviously her dad is. Detective Bailey and like you mentioned I've lost both my kids now and it's like crocodile tears like you can definitely see all that and it makes it obvious to a point so yeah I mean I was kind of disappointed with the reveal but I as you say like I really enjoyed watching Sam and Tara completely slaughter the fuck out of them um yeah the climax is very brutal gory and I mean this film is exceptionally gory but I think whether I'm desensitised, there was nothing that was particularly shocking in this film compared to anything I've seen before. I think um, we discussed that when they'd announced that it was going to be rated 18 here in the UK, it was to do with sadistic violence. And I suppose to a point it is sadistic in how these people really do murder each other in the sense of like you've got a knife going through the roof of the mouth and twisting it, you've got a nose stabbing. Ghostface is incredibly knife happy in this. You have eye trauma. I mean, again, there's nothing in this that we haven't seen before. And I think it's probably equally as brutal as Scream 5 anyway. Mm. Even Scream 4, which was rated 15, that did have some real nasty moments in it. Like Olivia's death, uh, where you see all her guts spilled out. And then there's the cop that gets the knife in the head. Yes. So they've always had like nasty elements. The only movie in the franchise that is bloodless more or less is screen three but that is because it was a victim of its time so again that's probably something we'll go into one day when we take on all the movies when we've got a little bit of hindsight so as i would have liked it just to be a cult of ghost faith these people obsessed with the conspiracy and wanting to make it real not actually having any sort of connection to sam as such I think that would have been more scary, basically, just yeah. the idea of these, these people that have become so consumed with this franchise. And obviously, like, true crime is, is massive. Everybody is obsessed with watching quite disturbing dramas, recreating real-life cases or documentaries. It's, it's very much like those are the type of things people want to go and watch these days. So just incorporating all that, just going back to a little bit earlier on in the film, 
it is touched upon when there's a joke about how Gail is struggling to get movie rights for her latest book and she said it's all about limited true crime series these days so that is a great addition into it to reflect the time and the culture that we're in in terms of our viewing habits so yeah I think that that would be my preferred ending but I think I kind of like it because it does reference Scream 2 and it's kind of bonding Sydney and Sam together you know as they're kind of going through similar things so yeah, I like the fact that they've overlaid Scream 2 as a template on this one. It's quite clever how everything kind of matches up. And I think if they'd have found a different way to get the revenge element into the end of it, I think it would have worked. And I would be probably saying this is my second favourite of the franchise. But it just muffed that last bit so badly. I was like, I didn't stand up and just say, like, I demand them to write this ending. But it's it's just a shame. It's it's so annoying when you're a massive fan of a movie franchise. They try something and then it doesn't really work out on a level where it's like I can I can see the joins here and I can't suspend enough disbelief. You're right, the ghost faces for this one, they're the weakest killers of the lot and you want something that's got a bit more menace. They're a bit cartoony this time out. Whereas, I'm going to go back to Jack Quaid again. Love Jack Quaid as a killer. He's got that kind of mixture of like, he's very sweet, but you know that underneath there's something sinister going on. And and they've got that thread running through most of the screen movies. Even Roman Bridger, not my favourite Ghostface killer, but he was all right. I mean, everybody says about, oh, he said, oh, he's a terrible Ghostface, Roman Bridger. It's like, no, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with Roman Bridger as a killer. He's fine. It works in Scream 3. Even though I'm not a big fan of the movie, it all hangs together. With this one, when you start kind of, you know, you don't want to unpick anything in this movie because I don't want to have the whole thing fall apart. And I don't think at the back of my mind it does fall apart because you've got 80, 90 minutes of a really cracking horror movie. It's just that at the end, it starts to throw too many things into the mix. It's trying to be clever, and I, I appreciate that. I don't want to see another dumb, cookie-cutter slasher movie, load of stupid people, killer, pile of bodies, the end. Fine, we've got enough of those. And I do like something that takes risk, and I do like something that goes a little bit out of your comfort zone. Here, I don't think it quite works, but I'm glad they tried it, because if they'd have just said, oh, there you go, here's another Scream movie, we haven't thought about it, here's a load of screaming college kids, here's a few gory deaths, here's a killer that you never thought of at the end. End of credits, yeah, come back next year, we'll have Scream 7 for you. I mean, at least there's thought gone into this, and people do care about the franchise, so as much as it didn't land for me as, as well as some of the other ones did, I still think the franchise is in really good hands because they're willing to try something at least. And if I don't happen to like it, that's not a reflection on the franchise because I've met a lot of people who absolutely fucking loved Scream 6. So it's not the slight failure that I think it was to other people. I think it, and it is again, it's, it's down to suspension of disbelief at the end. If you can take the massive and you can take all of this stuff out of the context in which it's put about how they would manage to get matching dead bodies to places and things. If you're willing to put that aside, 
this is going to be a really good horror movie for you. You're going to come out elated at this movie. If you're like me and you like to pick things apart, you're going to come out thinking, I don't know what I feel about this movie. A few days have passed and I do feel slightly better about Scream 6 now because the good stuff outweighs the bad by a long way. So I'm going to be there for Scream 7. I think it's got green lights. I'd be astonished if there isn't a Scream 7 next year. So it's not put me off the franchise forever. There are good things in this movie. They've got a really good cast in there. They've got Henry Cherney, brilliant actor, Henry Cherney, small role as a psychiatrist, gets really horribly killed. And even though it's not especially gory, the knife in the face, it's just the conceptually upsetting bit of it because it's like, oh, that's so gross. But yeah, they're obviously taking care of, of the franchise and they're obviously getting people in who are interested in appearing and, and they're getting interesting actors as well. You're not getting people who you, you know, you're not going to recognise from other things. So if they can continue down this road, I'm quite happy to go along with it just because it's not a big favourite of mine because of the last bit. I may come round to it slightly more in the future. I think it's got so much going for it. I think that was the that was the worst thing for me. If it had been average and they'd have had that reveal, I'd have gone, well, it's just like the rest of the movie and I just couldn't be bothered about it. But because I was so much on board with the first 90 minutes of this movie, when it got to the end, I was like, oh, couldn't it have been just a little bit better at the end? But I'll watch it again. I mean, I'm not going to sort of say, like, you know, Scream 6 is dead to me. And it's still not my least favourite of the franchise. I mean, I'm sure we're going to come to the rankings, but it isn't at the bottom. The only criticism I have for this movie, something that also annoyed me in number five, is I cannot take the visions of Billy Loomis seriously at all. I'm sorry, they've tried to de-age Skeet Ulrich unsuccessfully because... He does not look like the same teenager from 1996, no matter how hard they try. It's just incredibly cheesy. I just don't like these flashes of him, these visions that Sam seems to be having. It's just, for me, unneeded. There's so many subtle ways that they can have her father get under her skin without actually having to physically see Ghost Billy Loomis, basically just telling her what to do. It's just so much exposition with it. I think it would have been enough just the kind of subtle moments of her holding his mask, contemplating to put it on, when she first sees his ghost face robe in the glass case. like Things like that would have been fine without the vision. So that is my least favourite element of the new instalments of Scream. I just can't... I just think it's out of the realms of possibility. And it just... He doesn't look good. (laughs) That's the thing. The way they've done it, they haven't made him look authentic enough it, it just looks very strange for me that's my least favorite element of it yeah you know as i say the killers were the weakest in in the franchise but it was it was still a good time There's so much i enjoyed i think the little things the conversation between mindy and kirby where they're basically yeah. sussing each other out with them um, proving their horror fandom i really liked that so I, was, I was kind of expecting a scene like that to come in there and it's nice to see that Kirby hasn't lost her love for horror because she was like one of the biggest horror movie fans out of the whole Scream franchise. So I think that was a really fun touch. And as I said, I just love the shrine. I just love seeing all the Easter eggs, the sequences on the subway. 
absolute perfection, just seeing moments of darkness and Ghostface stepping closer. Absolutely loved it. And also all the um, different horror movie characters people were dressed up as in the background. You know, it's it's just a really nice way of doing it without shoving it down your throat in the dialogue. Because I think, you know, we've we've had plenty of self-referential horror movie speak in it and this one did die down on it a little bit more compared to usual and I think I appreciated that because again these killers weren't fans of stab they weren't fans of the whole Woodsboro murders it was just they were there for revenge so again and then the sequence in the uh, convenience store as well where ghost faces just shooting up people that's not a typical ghost face thing to do so th- this ghost face is a bit out of control he's not the the typical ghost face that we've seen in the past so I think I enjoyed all those elements but I think I would have definitely preferred that part of ghost face I did also like how they put the whole Stu Marker conspiracy theory to bed I knew they weren't going to bring him back but I thought it was great how on Kirby's board they had death 1996 and then of course there's that reference if you if you believe that he's still alive or whatever and then, of course, we have the TV fall on Ethan's head as well as a homage to that. So I, I loved those elements of Stu Marker without being like, oh, I'm back. There'd be no point bringing him back because Sydney's not in this movie. And yeah. I think we just have to let it go. It was a great idea for Scream 3 at the time before world events changed the direction of the film. So I think we just have to put that to bed now and just accept what could have been didn't happen but we've still had some really great content since in the franchise yeah so i am a huge fan of this movie i can't wait for it to come out on blu-ray because i'm gonna buy it and i'm gonna be watching it as soon as it arrives i'm just so excited to see what bonus material we might get from it as well it really satisfied me as a screen fan it was just the billy loomis ghost for me <laughs> not not a fan everything else just the heightened suspense sequences really good and also, before we close off, there was two very disposable victims in this film. We have a dead body in the bath. We do not know anything about this character. He is just dead body in the bath. Yeah. And then Gail's new boyfriend, who she doesn't seem to react about yeah. when he gets brutally <laughs> killed off. We see this guy for like two seconds. We know nothing about this man. He must have just been the rebound, just someone to make her feel a little bit better after what she's been through, but we, we just don't get much in terms of this character. And again, they've really upped the body count, but without touching any of the survivors. And so they're just throwing in the bodies. But yeah. it's all fun. It's all cheesy fun. So I'm not going to shake it too much because it's a bit what the fuck, but yeah, there's a lot I'm going col- to forgive it. There's a lot of collateral damage in this movie. And yeah, the boyfriend of Gail, I mean, even when he's you know giving it does he give her a drink or something but but she doesn't really seem to give a fuck about him doing that it's like it just happens happens to be there in her apartment she's like oh yeah fine whatever and then he dies like 30 seconds later and it is to just up the jeopardy because you know ghostface is already in the flat and stuff and the chase arms chase is really good you know gail v ghostface is like more probably one of the highlights of the movie but yeah up to that point you know he's a he's a guy you get to know absolutely zero about him then he's dead and I guess because these things are really self-referential and very meta, are they making a comment about disposable characters in horror movies? Or did they just want one more person on the body count? I'm going with the second theory. It's like, well, you know, we haven't had people die recently. Well, he's going to go to Gail's house, but, you know, you know, we're not sure about Gail dying. Who, can, who else can be there? 
let's give Gail a boyfriend. It doesn't have to be anything meaningful. She's probably still in love with you, but let's give her a boyfriend. Just kill him. I mean, even when she finds him dead, I mean, she doesn't seem to be particularly broken up about it. So, <laughs> so he can't have been, I mean, was he even a boyfriend? I mean, he's, he's acting like it, but, you know, she doesn't seem to transmit any warmth in his direction, even though he seems to think she's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's he's dead. You can cover your sins with this sort of movie, because if you didn't mean it, you can go, oh, well, it's just a trope. You know, you've got a bit of defence built in now because of the franchise. So if you throw something in, you can read it so many different ways now that even if you didn't mean it like that, somebody could say something to you, oh, is this a comment on this kind of aspect of the horror genre? And you can kind of think, well, no, I didn't write it that way. But you can go, well, that sounds quite kind of clever. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> I wrote it like that. And it's fine because Screams deserve this sort of thing now. It's an established franchise. It's It's one of the far better franchises and they don't just churn out any old shit for screen movies. They at least put some thought into it. These guys clearly know what they're doing. They can direct the fuck out of a suspense sequence. So, hey, leave them with the reins. See what they come up with for Scream 7. And I think the elephant in the room that needs to be addressed in Scream 7, we need to see Sam Tara's mother. She has to make an appearance in this next movie, and I'm holding out for that. <laughs> because we need to actually meet this woman who is kind of avoiding everything, really, at the moment in terms of peering. So that'll be quite interesting to see. No, I agree that like I think the um, main characters can just outsmart the killer because they're so well-versed in the horror genre and they've been through it before, they know what's coming. So I think we're going to have to raise the stakes higher next round. So talking of raising the stakes and rankings, shall we review our screen movie yes. list on it, from best to worst. It is, it is time. And I believe that my ranking last time was 1, 2, 5, 4, 3, when we had five screen movies. Now we have six screen movies. And the thing about the screen movie rank, uh, rankings, as I said last time, there's very small gaps between quite a lot of these movies. It's not like the first one's great, the last one's utterly terrible, and then there's kind of a, a like a timeline where they fit in at every so often in intervals. No, some of them are very, very, very close together. So at the moment, it might change by next week when I think of something else, but at the moment my ranking is 1, 2, 5, 4, 6, 3. 4 and 6 being very, very close together. Now, I was almost going to be tempted to do 6-4, but I went back and watched 4, and I was thinking, yeah, I do kind of like 4 more than 6. It's ahead of its time. Screen yeah. 4, I think, yeah. is quite underrated. Yeah. Um, I don't think audiences were ready for it, but it is yeah. a solid screen movie, yeah. without a doubt. So for me, I would have to say Scream 2, forever in my heart, as number 1. Fair play. Scream Scream 6, Scream yeah. 5, Scream 4, and Scream 3 at the end. I still really do enjoy Scream 3, but it is the weakest in the franchise for obvious reasons, but I don't hate it at all. I do actually enjoy re-watching it when uh, I get the opportunity to. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they're, they're all great, but when you have to rank yeah. them, you have to choose, yeah. that's the way it's going to go. 
Yeah, Scream 3 is not a terrible movie. I know that people say, well, it's like the red-headed stepchild of the franchise, Scream 3, but it's not a terrible movie. Yeah, it didn't deliver what people were expecting at the time. And as you've said, there were problems with what the original plot was going to be and they had to retool it and they had to shoot it in a very short space of time. So there were problems with the production as well. And considering everything that went on, what they ended up with, the finished product, it isn't that bad. It's just that it followed Scream and Scream 2. So everybody like looked at the first two and went, well, this is a piece of shit compared to the first two. I think with a bit more distance, I hope people look at it and say, well, actually, this isn't a piece of shit now. Definitely. And I thought one more fun thing to do before we close off would be to rank our favourite ghost face killers. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ghost face killers out there. But I think if we just box them in terms of which film they're which in. Which film, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so we don't have to like pick them as individuals. We pick them as duos or trios okay. or whatever they are. <laughs> right, I'll let you go first. I'm having thoughts about the ranking of, of two sets of them. Okay, so for me, I think it would have to be the top would be Mickey and Mrs. Loomis Scream 2, no surprises there. Secondly, for me, it would be Billy and Stu from the original. Thirdly, I am going to say Roman in third place. I know, controversial, but he did have a very strong motive, and I do love the sequence between him and Sydney. And then I think, fourthly, I'm going to go for Jill and Charlie. I think Jill is obviously the strongest out of them all, and her motive is absolutely batshit, and it's a fantastic performance. And again, it was so ahead of its time. And then I'm going to go with Richie and Amber. I wasn't hugely a fan of them. I think Richie more than Amber, because... I felt that the way Jack Wade played that role, he was very charming and I completely fell in love with him in that movie. And then for him to be revealed to be the killer, I was like, oh shit, this has like turned its table. So I think he did a very good job of concealing his true identity, that we saw him as a very charming character. Lastly, of course, these new killers on the block, not feeling it. Yeah, you're right. I'm not feeling it either. So mine, and again, this might change by next week but first place the OG the best Billy and Stu the classic double act that got the whole thing rolling I do love Billy and Stu because their interactions between them are also hilarious as well and they're kind of sadistic killers who are, who are not all that great at killing as well they do seem to bugger things up quite a lot and I did like that about them they kind of seemed a bit more grounded. They didn't seem superhuman. And yeah, so Billy and Stu first. Mrs. Loomis and Protégé. Fucking love Laurie Metcalf. It's like, yeah. When she was in the movie, I was thinking, well, you know, is she actually going to go batshit crazy or is she going to be like on the level? And when she was at the end, it's like, oh, great. She's going to go batshit crazy. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so again, third place, Roman. I think Roman's a really good screen buddy. A lot of other people... They may not, but I think, yeah, as you say, solid motive. Good face-off between him and Sydney. Absolutely nothing wrong with him as a Scream buddy. Just because people associate him with Scream 3 and didn't think Scream 3 was a good movie, there's nothing wrong with Roman Bridger as a bad guy. He's good. Fourth, Jill and Charlie. I mean, I thought Laurie Metcalf was batshit, but yeah, there's, there's some real batshit stuff going on with the killers in the fourth one. 
as much as I do like Jack Quaid, you're right, Amber kind of drags him down. Richie's a good killer. He's charismatic. And he's kind of the last guy you'd suspect as well, apart from in this movie, and it's like the first guy you'd suspect. But Amber's, she kind of overdoes it. As soon as she gets the freedom to go completely bonkers at the end, she's just all kind of pop-eyed psycho and just a complete nutcase. I mean, at least Richie retains some air of stability, even though he's trying to murder people, whereas Amber is just, she's like... Mallory knocks out a natural born killer. She's just crazy. She just gets more and more and more crazy. And then when she gets shot and set on fire in the kitchen, I was just thinking, oh, thank fuck. She's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the audience thought that as well. And yeah, six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sixth place. Yeah, the new kids on the block. The lamest trio of killers in the screen. Especially franchise. Ethan. Yeah, Not a fan yeah. Of Ethan. He just yeah. annoyed me. Yeah. Ethan is the worst. I can forgive Quinn and her dad. At least they're trying to do good work. And as I've said, Dermot Mulroney really goes for it at the end. And he's really trying his hardest. At least with the um, face-offs at the end, I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if they kind of drew it out a bit and you had a bit more of a battle. When it came to Ethan, it was like, no, just fucking kill him because I'm sick of him. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to give one last shout out to the character of cute guy in the apartment across the road because I thought they did a really good job with making this love interest for Sam, who's not the killer and isn't murdered. I just thought he was a really great addition to it and he was a very genuine character. Yeah, we should. That's yeah. not what you expect. So, um, yeah, we big should, shout out to him. Yeah, we should, have talked, we should have talked about Cute Guy some more because, yeah, Cute Guy is quite a good addition to the franchise and he does something very smart at the end as well. He does. So, I appreciate so yeah, it. So yeah, so, yeah, Cute Guy is one of the high spots of Scream 6. It does track with the kind of, oh, Cute Guy, clearly something suspicious. No, no, he's just nice. He's just trying to look out for everybody. And he doesn't get on a table and start think, singing I Think I Love You or do anything cringy like that. So, you know, <laughs> bonus points there. So um, currently the score on IMDb for Scream 6 is a 7.4 out of 10. It's solid. People are loving this movie. And on Rotten Tomatoes, there's a 75% tomato meter and a 92% audience score. No surprises there. This this movie is very much an audience movie. And it is, yeah. It's just great. So bring on Scream 7. Yeah. And to be honest, the critic scores, I've seen a lot of reviews of this movie and a lot of them are incredibly positive. And basically the ones that aren't incredibly positive are still liking the movie, but not liking the ending. So it kind of tracks with what I'm saying as well, for, for once. For once, I'm kind of in line with some of the critics, which I never am. Even so, even the people that are not, getting on board with how it all resolves itself a lot of people are still saying the rest of the movie's pretty good i don't think i've seen anything that kind of outright trashes the movie even if it's not super positive so it's a recommendation to go out and see it but of course you'll have already gone out and seen it because if you've got to this point now and you haven't seen scream six we've just completely ruined it for you so we're not sorry because we did warn you go and see this movie if you're a scream fan if you're Casual moviegoer, just go and see it because it's amazing. I loved it. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 90 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening.
And if you enjoyed this content and would like to check out more of our episodes, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next episode. It's episode 91 and we're staying in the horror genre. Something that's slightly older than Scream 6. Something that's got a slightly lower budget than Scream 6. And something that has probably been slightly less well received than Scream 6. It is... 1993's Leprechaun. So join us next week as we search for our pot of gold. It's one not to be missed. Until then, stay safe everybody and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, Tune in, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.